0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News.
1: CBS faces a $184 million Me Too moment, delving into China's biotech scandal and Hong Kong and New York battle for China's IPOs. These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking View's columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Anthony Curry, and with me is my co-host, Jennifer Saber. Hi, Jen. Hello. So we'll be handing over to our Hong Kong team later in the show, but we start with the scandal that has hit CBS in recent days. A New Yorker article last week accused the US TV network's longtime boss, Les Moonves, of sexual harassment over the past two decades. It adds yet another crisis for CBS's aging board to deal with. Now, Jen, as the Breaking Views media guru, this is squarely in your patch, and you argue in your latest column that $184 million rests on how directors deal with this current crisis. So before we get into absolutely everything else, talk us through what the importance of this number is.
2: Okay, so $184 million is what Les Moonvez would get if, as part of his ex- exit package if he is terminated without cause. So to put this in perspective... Les Moonves is one of the most highly paid CEOs in all of corporate America. Uh-huh. Um, he typically ranks number one or number two, more or less. This is what Equilar found in some research that they did in terms of uh, how much he is compensated. Is this
1: for public companies or all companies or
2: S and P five hundred? Okay. Um, and just to, to, again, kind of give everyone a sense of how big CBS is, it's about a $20 billion media company. So it's, in the media universe, it's kind of a, a middle-sized company. Right. And certainly in the S&P, it's nowhere near the size of, say, a Facebook or
1: right. and he's getting Alphabet a, a or whatever.
2: He's getting a crazy. Compared to
1: everyone else, an, an outsized share of profit, basically. Yeah. Sure. revenue. Uh,
2: yeah. That's one way to look at right, it.
1: Right. So. He's being paid this much, obviously, because he's really good at what he does.
2: Well, okay. to be fair to him, he has done a very good job running CBS. Um, Shareholders have seen a great return over the past decade. He's been at the helm since 2006. And that is after CBS split from its sister, Viacom. Um, And just to step back further, both those media companies are are controlled by the Redstone family. Mm. Um, Sumner Redstone, who is ill at the moment, he's ninety-five years old. Um, he stepped back, and his daughter Sherry Redstone is now kind of uh, behind the family vehicle. Right. That's uh, which basically owns eighty
1: percent of each company.
2: Eighty uh, percent of the vote of each so the company. the economic company, stake right.
1: is much smaller. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute because that's another part of what's going on in the company in the background. Right. So, if the board were to fire him without cause. What What if he resigned? What if he just decided I'll step I'll step down. before. Well, he any further?
2: I, I think if he my guess is if he resigned and again, this is a strict guess that he would be able to get part of his package. Right. I mean, termination uh, without cause like, you know, that's that's pretty clear um, if he's fired for cause. Uh, he walks away with nothing right, and I was looking in the proxy and cause includes violating uh, the company's code of conduct and also sexual harassment is specifically written in the um cause clause, right. if you will um so now look I, I, you know he, here's kind of what's happened over this the, the span of you know several days so this article comes out on friday it's a devastating article, but all that said. I don't think anybody should be fired unless there's an actual investigation right. that takes place. Um, the board had a regular scheduled meeting on Monday,
1: so they waited to comment until then, basically. Well, from the board's perspective, to comment, I think. Um, no, they actually. had already had a couple of comments. The, 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 the company
2: on. had put out some comments, and I yeah. believe the board had too. And right. I don't. Quite remember the chain of events. But then on top of it, on Monday, they had a board meeting. Um, They come out and say, We're going to appoint, we're looking outside counsel to to do a probe. That is all we're going to say on the matter. So they didn't mention
1: Moonvez's name? They didn't mention
2: Moonvez's name, and there was speculation that perhaps they would suspend him while this investigation was going on. But instead,
1: Uh, I mean, the the earnings are on Thursday.
2: Earnings are on Thursday. Actually,
1: probably probably, um, before this podcast comes out. So yeah. We'll know a bit more by then. But um, so at the moment, he's meant to be on the call, Moonves, correct?
2: Uh, I believe he's supposed to be on the call. There's no indication that he that he won't be. He's usually on the call when, when he conducts, um, you know, when the, when CBS holds their earnings. So, um, you know, will analysts ask questions? I mean, who knows?
1: All right. So. Did it surprise you when you found out that there was a clause in there for sexual harassment? Uh, um,
2: I yeah, I kind of was surprised by that. I mean, to be honest with you, I've never really looked that closely at, at, at these types of things. And you know, I, I think now is start is the time to start to look kind of closely at it because we've seen a. Uh, a rash of these cases. So Steve Wynn is another example. Mm. With um, his casino, he was forced out because of sexual harassment charges. Um, so, you know, it's it's interesting to look at. And if the clause isn't there, if sexual harassment mm. isn't addressed, it should be yeah. going forward. I mean, if yeah. you're a board, you should be writing this stuff in.
1: I, I, I recall looking at a lot of the, the, the packages exit packages for Wall Street executives 10, 11 years ago as the crisis was hitting, and it's amazing to see a lot of them leaving with a lot of money. Now, sometimes that was pension, and I, I wonder how much pension should be part of an exit package or not, and whether it should be taken away or clawback or whatever. But to an extent, Wall Street has tried to deal with this by adding in clawbacks and other issues um, and trying to make pay less dependent on each year's performance. Although I think we get to see that properly test. There's been a few clawbacks here and there. Um, so clawbacks exist exist as far as you know for, for example, CBS and movies. Yeah,
2: I don't know if a clawback hmm. exists. I mean, right now, w- what I'm talking about 184 million. That's just the golden parachute. That's right. n- that's not saying like they need to claw that amount back. Hmm. Um, the the charges that were made in the New Yorker spanned two decades, from 1985 to about 2006, somewhere right. in that in that time period.
1: I mean, you you've been on this from very early on, looking at the cost to shareholders of whether it's sexual harassment, the Me Too movement, or whatever you want to call it, and you did a piece at the end of last year looking at, at Fox. You mentioned Roger Ailes already, and they had already. You went back through their uh, various reports and found they spent what two hundred million over several years yeah, to settle cases, just to of settle cases
2: and 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 whatnot. It's very expensive. Mm. Uh, if I'm a shareholder, it's you know, first of all, just aside from the the morality of it, like it's just wrong. Mm. Um, but then also, it's a huge distraction, and. Um, CBS, as a media firm, does not need another s- distraction. I mean, it's it's a well-run company, but that doesn't mean going forward they're not going to have a yeah. huge set of challenges.
1: Because I mean, let's let's go through some of the, the I suppose the the other now slightly less pressing one, just from a, a timing perspective, is that there's this big battle going on with Sherry Redstone. Yes. Um, there's also um, major consolidation happening in the industry. Right. So there's a lot for them to think about, and also as you've mentioned, the bo- I mean the board the other day, its comment on Monday doesn't seem to be particularly forthright.
2: No, no, I mean I, honestly, I read it and I was like, I- is this a joke? Like, mm. why would a board put this out? Mm. Um, and I mean, frankly, the board looks totally entrenched, totally feeble, totally in like circling the wagons for mm. Moonves, and that's my viewpoint, and that's what it looks like. This is a board that uh, the average age of their director is 72, more or less. They have uh, mostly white males on that board who have served on that board for a very long period of time. And then on top of it, you have uh, Les Moonves, who is also chairman and CEO, so he oversees the board. So a couple of months back, something else extraordinary happened with this company, and that I've never seen anything like this, but CBS the board tried to basically they voted to dilute the voting uh, stake of um, CBS Class A, I believe. Sure, this is the one that
1: the the the, the Redstone family vehicle, yes, um, owns. And gets this 80% sh- uh, voting
2: they have an, share. They have 80% voting shares. So the
1: idea was to get this down to 17%. 17. So
2: they wanted to dilute the shares, basically, right. turn them all into B shares or something. I can't quite remember. But anyway, the idea was that they wanted to try and wrest control of the company from the Redstone family, right. um, which is extraordinary. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and, and basically they were doing it saying, like, we are doing this on behalf of independent shareholders because... Uh, the National Amusements, which is the Redstone family vehicle, wanted, they were thinking about merging Viacom, their other holdings, with CBS. So bringing
1: the, the band back together. Bringing the band back years. together.
2: And CBS didn't like that. CBS said, you know, we don't think this is proper for our shareholders, which is all well and good. There are other, I think, mm. mechanisms to do that and to say you don't want to merge or whatever. Um, but they decided to, to dilute her Voting, which is extra, like I and, just can't and, imagine and she why she countersued,
1: Del- right? She counters, so yeah, she, to protect her stake. Currently know? in the courts,
2: it's currently basically. in the courts. It's uh, happening. It's, the trial is supposed to happen in October in Delaware.
1: Okay, so we've got this this court case going on over the future of the company. We've got the article about lesbians and, and sexual harassment. <sighs> Curious timing. Is there anything behind this that we should know about or worry about?
2: Um, my opinion is, who cares? That shouldn't matter. Right. Um what matters is that this article came out and CBS owes it to their employees and to their shareholders all their shareholders to get to the bottom of it you know and this has n- nothing to do I think with a merger
1: right you don't and there's no evidence that this has been brought up by the Redstone side to try and
2: Again I, I don't think that matters yeah regardless, one way, it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter they have to get to the bottom yeah. of it
1: okay um and one thing we, we probably haven't got too much time to to touch on but the direction of the company as well so if the Viacom merger doesn't happen, um, whether people want it or not, what does it do next? Regardless, you know, once you sort sorted out whether Moonbase should be CEO or not, once you've sorted out what happens with the voting stock, what does CBS become in the next few years? Well,
2: this is a big existential crisis for all media companies. And what we're seeing right now is that they're basically getting bigger. So the same day that this New Yorker article came out, um, Fox and Disney shareholders voted uh, for Disney to you know, basically take most of Fox um, and merge and, and, and create a much bigger company. Um, you have Netflix and Amazon and now Apple is now trying to make a play in this area. Um, and by the looks of it, CBS and Viacom are tiny. Mm. Um, the other issue is... I don't know who would buy CBS. I mean, Verizon was always floated as a potential uh, ac- acquirer. It
1: buys virtually anything, I thought, doesn't it?
2: Well, I think now with the new CEO in place, mm. I think they've signaled that they don't have any desire to right. do media. Um, you know, Comcast, Disney, Fox, they can't because they are also have broadcasters or mm-hmm. their broadcast stations. Um, you know, so where does that leave you? You know, at and not because they just swallowed Time Warner. Yeah. Um, Netflix and Apple and Amazon, I tell you what, they've been nowhere to be seen in any of these bids.
1: Right, Jen, thanks very much for that. I'm sure there'll be plenty on both um, the charges against movers and the direction of the company we'll be coming back to. Thanks again.
3: I'm Katrina Hamlin, Breaking News' Asia production editor, and I'm here with our columnist Alec McFarlane in Hong Kong. Alec's been writing about a battle of the bosses. Hong Kong and New York are fighting it out to become the go-to exchange for Chinese tech listings. Alec, you've been keeping a very close eye on uh, these weird and wonderful Chinese tech listings, including one recent IPO candidate that you described as a Costco Disney hybrid. Um, What is this company and and where did the listing end up?
0: Yeah, I can't claim credit for that. Uh, This is how they describe themselves or this is how Colin Huang describes his startup. This is the guy that founded Pinduoduo three years ago. It's a phenomenal success story. It's only three years old. They are now the third biggest uh, e-commerce site in China by market share behind Alibaba and JD. And the whole kind of premise is that um, friends and family and other users of the app uh, can kind of club together to, to push down the the, the the price of goods. Um, and the way they do that is is one through the app. And most of the traffic comes through WeChat, the, the Tencent-owned messaging platform. Tencent also is an investor in Pinduoduo as well.
3: And where did that listing end up? New York or Hong Kong?
0: Uh, the listing ended up in New York. There's uh, they they weren't explicit about the reasons for this, but we can kind of um, draw some conclusions ourselves. So, so there's uh, th- those two comps that I just mentioned, Alibaba and JD. They're both listed in New York, and also the the partnership structure that Pindoor decided to opt for would not have been permitted in Hong Kong as well.
3: Uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
0: The the partnership structure it's um, it's quite similar to kind of Alibaba. So the the whole kind of idea is that um, it manages the board and then an insider committee, there's like an insider committee kind of laying on top of it as well. So it kind of puts the founder um, very much in control when you, when you kind of consider the fact that he's got 90% control of the votes as well.
3: So what does this tell us about the battle between Hong Kong and New York? Does this mean that New York's winning? Or is this just a little bit of a, a strange beast?
0: I think New York has been winning for a number of years. And I, th- I think it's, it's still safe to say it's winning. Like where the kind of concern for New York would have come from is that when, you know, this year, earlier this year, Hong Kong stock exchange introduced dual class shares, which is something they've resisted in, in the past. So I think New York has been winning, but New York, um, Hong Kong this year has has won some really kind of massive uh, IPOs of Chinese technology companies. So Xiaomi uh, just debuted. Meituan Dianping is coming as well. Um, so I think there was probably some concern from New York that that now Hong Kong has kind of you know loosened its its corporate governance requirements that uh, that they'd lose all these listings. So I think New York is still in control, but I think uh, Hong, Hong Kong has been has been winning market share from them.
3: And H- Hong Kong is, of course, a bit closer to home for these companies. To what extent does that help the Fragrant Harbour?
0: Well, I mean, this is this has been like a big sort of pitch by Hong Kong to to the Chinese issuers. They've been kind of saying, you know, if you list closer to home, the investors are going to understand your business model a bit more. But I mean, uh, for me, this this Pinduoduo listing kind of blows that argument a bit out of the water. So this is a very Chinese business model. Most of the users come through WeChat, which is a very kind of Chinese concept. it's almost kind of like an idea that there's an app within an app almost. Second kind of confusing part about this company is that a lot of the users are in sort of far-flung cities in China that fund managers in Boston and Baltimore hadn't heard of. So we were kind of a little bit concerned that this might go over the top of the the heads of of investors in the States. But that hasn't happened. It's an incredibly successful listing. They priced at the very top of the range. Uh, The stock popped 40% on day one. So so this is a, a, a cause for concern for Hong Kong, I think.
3: How does that compare with recent listings here in Hong Kong?
0: Well, that's the other cause of concern. So, if you look at, I think there's been 13 tech listings so far this year in Hong Kong oh, of Chinese lucky 13. companies.
3: 13.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's been eight uh, listings of Chinese technology companies in New York. Uh, 11 of the 13 companies that have listed in Hong Kong this year are now underwater. And I think six of the eight companies that listed in uh, New York uh, have, have sort of have been successful they've actually like investors have made money from those
3: uh, well thanks very much Alec it sounds like Hong Kong has its work cut out
0: yeah <laughs> thank, you. thank
3: you I'm here in Hong Kong with columnist Chris Beddo, who's going to be speaking to us about a Chinese farmer fiasco Chris you said that this scandal will see heads roll what happened
4: Yeah, so the epicenter of this scandal really focuses on a company called Changsheng Biotechnology. It's a quite large, listed mainland firm. It produces a lot of uh, vaccines in the country. And what happened was that news emerged last week that this company had substandard production practices for its its vaccines, especially for rabies, for things like diphtheria, tetanus, Um, and... It just it's been incredible how much this scandal that that it wasn't producing vaccines properly, how much it's just uh, sucked up the oxygen on Chinese social media. And now you have the premier Li Keqiang, uh, who said uh, who said this week that the company needs uh, not the company, but that the, the industry needs to kind of. Examine itself. That regulators need to take a harsher line, and that there needs to be severe punishment. So it's what everyone is talking about now in China: the no more peer-to-peer lending, no more uh, a trade war. They're talking about this, and that's why uh, I think you know heads are going to be likely to roll, just because this has happened in the past as well.
3: Uh, This is one of two very recent scandals, right?
4: Yes, yes. Uh, There was another one: a Zhejiang firm that produced a vaccine for export to the United States. And it was found by regulators to have uh, some of that. It was it was a blood and heart drug and some of it was included in impurity that was linked to cancer. Um, So that's that's another. Like I said, the epicenter of this is around Changsheng biotechnology. um, But it's we've seen it kind of expand outwards to other vaccine producers as well.
3: And uh, you mentioned earlier that the stock took a hit. Just how bad was that?
4: Uh so it's been falling in recent days by uh the maximum limit that it can go down in Shenzhen market, which is ten percent. So uh just day after day it's been falling that ten percent. Originally when it started it was a three point five billion dollar company. Um by the close on on uh Friday uh it was uh closer to about a two billion dollar company.
3: And this is not the first time we've seen this kind of thing in China's healthcare sector, right?
4: Yeah, that's right. So in kind of the background of all of these food and safety scandals, uh, health care, what have you, is the 2008 uh, infant formula milk scandal. Uh, so what happened there was uh, some of this, a firm was producing this milk powder, milk, milk formula. It was laced with um, melamine. Uh, it led to the hospitalization of upwards of 50,000 infants. Um, but more broadly, it was this massive outcry that you saw. And what happened was that there was literally um, you know, they had executions of uh some people involved in the scandal, uh led to the dismissal of several others. It was uh, I bring that up because officials and the public both at large are very keenly aware of this. And uh interestingly enough, even in, in Hong Kong, so what happened was that a lot of these parents that had normally been buying uh, milk powder or infant formula for their children in the mainland would go over to Hong Kong. They would try to buy foreign brands that were perceived as safer. Um, and even today, you see uh, the level of uh, infant formula that's sold per child, resident child that's born in Hong Kong, is more than 25 times higher than before the scandal hit. 2008. So it's uh, it's just an emphasis of that the public doesn't forget this stuff. It's very much in the background.
3: Mm. This is all pretty bleak, but you've actually argued that in the long run the situation is going to get better, right?
4: That's that's right. It does sound very bleak, but uh, so these scandals come along. This is not the first one that's happened since 2008. 2008 was the biggest one, but these kind of rumble along. Every now and then you get them. I would just point to in general China's health bureaucracy as a whole. Um, has definitely been improving over the past decade. I think there's there's no question about it. Uh, in terms of the transparency with which they operate, uh, things like reporting to the World Health Organization, when you get new instances of kind of weird diseases that you, you can't really tell what it is, instead of trying to cover it up like they tried to do in the past, say, with SARS. Um, Now they're one of the most transparent, um, you know, governments in the world as far as reporting that stuff to the World Health Organization. Even with respect to vaccines and vaccine distribution, uh, we saw in in 2016 they implemented some new rules and tried some new uh, inspections after a scandal then um, involving uh, the improper storage of vaccines. So really, I mean, what I would take away is two things from this. First of all, is that the leadership in China, there is a reason that Premier Li Keqiang came out so quickly and made a comment on this, which is they seem to view this as a near existential threat to the government. So they take this extremely seriously. The second thing is that these scandals, the silver lining to them is that they tend to prompt more reforms in the long run, that this is really kind of like the focusing event that really tells the entire health bureaucracy that they need to step up their game, either be more transparent, more heavily regulate the sector or what have you.
3: Well, I hope you're right, Chris. Um, Thanks very much.
2: That's our show for this week. Thanks to Katrina Hamlin, Alex McFarlane, and Chris Bedore for coming on the show. We also doff our hats to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Andrew D'Antonio, and Ben Kellerman. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingNews.com. Subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes. And please do share your opinions about our show. Join us again next week for another edition.